Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel. We love it. (laughs) If our podcast loves it, this is the only wrinkle we don't like is that the one through four doesn't get to host a game. Pete Thamel is just a cultural disaster. And I feel very confident saying that. I had people like lining up to talk because things have gotten so divisive in that program. Essentially, Herm Edwards is asleep at the top. And SI's Pat Forty. I, I can tell you this. I am incredibly thankful to have the pod today because it gives me something else to do other than think about <laughs> my kids' races. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Uh, welcome to the pod. We're all back. Pat Forty coming from Omaha where he's covering the... Uh, swim trials and watching his daughter swim we won't get too into it because she's in the middle of competition so who knows how this will break i don't know whether to you know i don't know how to frame it but how nervous are you watching and this is your third child i believe that made the u.s swimming trials i I can tell you this i am incredibly thankful to have the pod today because it gives me something else to do other than think about (laughs) my kids races uh like tonight and, and you know this this doesn't time well with the uh, the release of the pod. I don't know what's going to happen, but we're taping this on Wednesday afternoon. She's swimming in the two hundred meter freestyle final Wednesday night. If she gets in the top four, she is going to Tokyo. If she gets in the top wow. six, there is a, a good chance she's going to Tokyo. Four is automatic. Six is probable. Uh, she qualified fifth, but it is as my son pointed out going to be desperately close because that's how these things are when you get to to this level and you know she's there's a she qualified three tenths behind Allison Schmidt who is a three-time Olympian uh, she qualified one tenth ahead of another extremely good swimmer there's five women in there who either have been to the in the Olympics or will be for the first time this year so I mean it is it's what you get in America in an Olympic trial final. So like I have spent 26 straight hours doing nothing but thinking about the women's 200 meter freestyle. <laughs> and, yeah. Wait, 26 hours thinking about 0.3 seconds. That has yeah, to be basically. a unique place. You know, and I mean, it's been fun. It's been super, super exciting. You know, like watching her, she swam great in the prelims and made it to semifinals. And then last night when she qualified and she swam really well, that was that was like 
probably the second most exciting swim I've ever seen her have, maybe third. I don't know. Um, and so, but since then it's just been like wired because that's really the only thing that's been on my mind. So again, I am grateful to see the slovenly faces of you gentlemen today to give me <laughs> something else to think about for an hour or so here. M mispronounced handsome. <laughs> Do you need me to get to home? I can get to Nebraska quickly as fast as possible. Do you need a Jeff Galuli here? Do we need to? <laughs> well, you know what? Hey, you're hired. Yes. Swing the stick like Shane Stant. Get it done. <laughs> And, you would write uh, a great column on you knocking out a swimmer's knee, Dan. Like that, you were born to write the column about you doing that. I <laughs> wish I had been covering the uh, 1994 oh. Olympics. Yeah. I, I, I've covered a lot of wild stuff in the Olympics, <laughs> uh, but I wish I had been able to cover the Tanya Harding and uh, uh, what, what was the who's the and, other one? Nancy uh, Kerrigan. Nancy, Nancy Kerrigan. Kerrigan. I did cover totally, it. And it was totally glorious. ridiculous. Totally I was ridiculous. there. It was fabulous. Yeah, that was a good story to write about. Sorry to Nancy and her knee. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, swimming's cruel because we were watching the other night. Um, yeah. I got chills, Pat, seeing Brooke. 40 on the screen there. Yeah, yeah that was cool. Like, that we're was excited. really cool. Yeah. We got really excited. There was, a, there was a separate group text. We took you out yeah. at our own, <laughs> so we weren't blowing you up your phone while you were trying to concentrate. But we were all very excited. But, I mean, it's such a cruel sport, man. These guys oh. lose by fingertips and stuff. It's just oh. like, God. Yeah. Like, do you cut, like, don't cut your fingernails? Like, what? I mean, oh. yeah. No, I mean, like, I, Kelsey Dahlia a, was an Olympic butterfly in 2016. She hung through the pandemic uh, and in her late 20s now is in there in her event and gets fourth. And I think it was like two tenths. You know, difference between second and fourth. Oh. I see her on the street yesterday. She's a wonderful, sweet woman. I'm like, hey, how you doing? You okay? She goes, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm getting through it. And she said, the techs have been nice, but I kind of feel like I've died. Because everybody's like <laughs> trying to cheer her up. You know, you're such a wonderful person. Da, 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 da. You know, it's oh, like, so you, you can't cheer somebody up really that easily in that point. Everybody tries, but, you know, when there's that much on the line and it comes down to this much, it's, it's tough. I, w I covered an Olympic... Um gymnastics whatever qualifier and that thing is subjective of course and it's really not even like how you do like simone Biles could fall off every single apparatus at whatever and she's making the team right right so they they and, and somewhat smartly they do that and then somewhat's like kind of unfair right but i remember back at it was in philadelphia and back at the hotel there were just like parent it was just a lot of people and the dream had ended and because i mean they only have five kids make it yeah right five in the whole country five this period. year's four there's some alternates and a couple that's it the whole <laughs> every girl doing gymnastics <laughs> yeah. in the whole country like this is all yeah. we get and it's yeah. like yeah and so just like uh yeah it was it was a very odd scene in the uh the lobby bar of the uh the marriott in philly city center marriott they got a big open bar there man i miss that that's place so you know what, but that's the thing. You go into that, and like Simone Biles has one of those spots. So everybody's going for three. Right? Oh, they're really the going rest for of like the United two, yeah. States is going for three. I the mean, last just, Olympics, we had three women were going to win. Our one, two, three, all of them would have won gold in the all around. So we cool. had the top three gymnasts in the world, and then only two more make it. And yeah, it's just a brutal, brutal sport. But anyway, that's that sport. 
Um, yeah. All right, here's what we talked about college football-wise, though, while you okay. were gone. Little thing well, is happened. Omaha bracing for Sully's arrival? First of all, have you seen, like, oh, yeah, uh, extra that. barricades yeah. up? Have you seen police tape? Like, they are have the actually... barmaidens been warned? Like... <laughs> They are. So they, they are closing streets. They're closing streets around Rosenblatt to set up the the you know the standing room bars and everything out there. I mean, and yes, there there is a a separate like Sully wagon that the cops have ready. <laughs> just I think for for it's him and his his steak and crew. booze every yeah. single day yeah. for for Sully's health. The Vols need to get eliminated quickly. <laughs> this thing goes for weeks. He's doing out. If if the Vols win, Sully, do you promise to create your own news of the weird somehow with your celebration? Like, yeah, we'll, we'll read 100%. about you at the end of the podcast. I'll be back in California by that point. Uh, but yes, that's okay. I, there's going to be some yeah. weird, weird looks, and it, it almost makes it even better because streaking down the street, people are going to be looking at me like, "Who the hell is this guy?" But in Omaha, it makes sense. Chattanooga hmm. man breaks into Buffett's house, <laughs> brings his own steak. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck to Omaha. Um, all right, let's talk about some college football. This is what uh, we missed. You missed a little thing called the playoff is expanding. Mm. I don't know if you saw that, Pat. Well, to take that you that news item did, did flit across yeah. my, my radar. Yeah. So Pete and I discussed it uh, extensively on the 12, but we want to get your thoughts. Um, and I think we have further discussions and further thoughts as you go, because this thing kind of popped. And then you have a million discussions with people throughout college sports and you pick up different uh, concepts. So uh, basic thought on uh, on 12 and uh, some of the ideas, the home field for the first round and, and things like that. What are your thoughts on the playoff, Pat? Yeah, I'm 90 percent positive and I'm not 90 percent positive about anything. So <laughs> that's a, that's a departure. Um, I think it's I think it's great. I think it's really, really good. Bigger is absolutely better in this instance. On-campus games is a thousand times better. Contrary to what some people say about it diminishing the regular season, it enhances the regular season for more teams uh, and more fan bases. As I've, you know, like on November 1st, in a four-year playoff, we're talking about six to eight teams probably. And this year or next, whenever this comes to be, we'll be talking about 16 to 20 teams and all those fan bases will be fired up and like, Hey, we still got a chance. You know, let's look, let's look at the schedule and see if we can make it. Where are we going to get in? That sort of thing. What's our seed going to be? Can we host a home game? You know, I just think it adds more layers of interest and excitement to the postseason. And <laughs> I did find it hilarious. People like Ross Bjork from Texas A&M and other places. Well, I am concerned about the bulls. Well, I am not. And I don't think anybody on this podcast is Dan's concerned very about concerned. the Bulls. What's yeah. he going to lampoon? What pinata will go? He's a John oh, Junker pinata there. at his daughter's oh, birthday yeah. party every year. What will Dan do without the Bulls to kick I around? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. They're still there. That's the problem. We didn't get yeah. rid of them. No, because you got AD sitting around saying, oh, we got to take care of the Bulls. No, you friggin' don't. You know, that's it's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. I'd rather take care of a bowl game somewhere else than my own city. Yeah. Can right. you imagine I, Oxford? So this is one of the good chats we had, Pat, uh, in your uh, in your absence. Uh, and we know you don't have the technological skill to actually listen to our podcast. So I'll just remind you not. of it. Uh, yep. The uh, we talked about the coolest stadiums to host a playoff game in November. Like, where would we love to see like Madison would have hosted three, Dan? Is that right? Yeah, three. Madison would have hosted three oh playoff games. How oh awesome my. would that be, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, how that would have been How beer-soaked, how just – imagine jump around at a playoff game. And Dan <laughs> had the great point that he's made, like, this will be the biggest athletic event 
to take place on those campuses in like a generation, if not ever. So it's just like Absolutely. you're creating these just monstrous moments. Notre Dame would be electric. What wouldn't be electric, right? But look like at this, right. look at the College World Series. Yes. Look oh. at the like I watched the other night. Notre Dame, Mississippi State. Those final innings. Mississippi oh, yeah. State. It was incredible environment. Why? No doubt about no bowl game. Condos over the stadium. Yeah. Why would you take that and put it in like? the Houston Astros stadium and, and make sure some guy in Houston got a kick. Like, why would you do that? You look, nobody, even Notre Dame was like, that was awesome. When that Notre Dame kid hit it out of the whole stadium and the place is dead silent, the Arkansas one. I mean, they have no problem with it until somebody can give them a kickback. Right. Yeah. Right. They're like home field. You can't have home field. (laughs) It's fine in baseball. But, you know, I get Pete brought up this thing the other day. What was it? Uh, say Delaney's working for the Rose Bowl. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Shocking. Yeah. What, a, yeah. what a stunning. Right. Like, a, like if those politicians there. that are griping about this want to investigate something. Yeah. Right. Like this guy, he made sure the Rose Bowl became a hundred million dollar property. And then lo and behold, <laughs> he's a consultant. Like this is like yeah. senators that, you know, vote for the pharmaceutical industry every time and then yeah. all of a sudden become on the board of directors of big that's pharma right. i mean that's right <laughs> so yeah it, no. it will be incredible like that baseball i watched that baseball game not because i care about notre dame baseball or mississippi state baseball i watched because the scene in starkville was so exciting yeah exactly and that's what cowbells you, that's going, what i assume dan right were there cowbells what's that? were there cowbells rocking cowbells and they were nervous and it was oh, good. Man, yeah, yeah. they like 40 grills in the outfield, you know, like that place yeah. is a insane yeah. environment. I don't know what they seat, but like there was <laughs> 10,000 more people in there. It was inc- yeah. it was it was phenomenal. All it time is, record. 40,000 people showed up the, the, over the weekend. Most super wow. re- people at a super regional ever. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing. And that's exactly the environment that you could bring and even so add. It would be on a bigger scale because it's going to be more people, bigger stadiums. Uh, and as much as they may care about baseball, the people mostly care more about football. So it would just add to the intensity and electricity of it. And I just think it'd be a phenomenal, phenomenal addition to the sport. We could sit here all day and do like top 10 lists of just like Autzen Stadium in mid-December, cold day, just the, the buzz. Imagine how much weed smoke you'd smell in the parking lot that day walking from your car into Austin. Um, we've all we've all smel- smelt those drifts uh, before. Just, I mean, every stadium that you love that has an unbelievable environment would be amplified by like 30% of the biggest game ever. And it's just, it, it would just be, it just be such a wonderful window. Uh, I, I had our friend Stuart Mandel texted me the other day, listened to our pod. And he was like, I got fired up for the playoff just listening to you guys. Because you, you start to really let your mind go and imagine what what the possibilities would be. Oklahoma is a great place to cover a game, right? We've all covered games oh, yeah. over the years. I mean, it's an awesome game. Well, they, you know, yeah. Oklahoma ends up, ends up fifth and hosts a playoff game and they play Boise. You start thinking about these matchups and Dan read them all the last, but you just, you know, it's really... Uh, it's really exciting. Like that, the hair stand up on the back of your neck, thinking about covering, capturing, being there for those moments. And and I'll tell you about Oklahoma too. Is it's an interesting team because for the most part, their biggest game, their biggest game of the year generally yep. isn't on campus ever. Right? So no, neutral it's site. in Dallas. Yep. And so, like all of a sudden, the biggest game. I had a couple people say, you know, as an AD, 
um, and even as fan, and I had fans, like as fans, would you rather get to host, be a five or six seed? They don't necessarily want the smoke of that eight nine game, but the right. five or six seed, and and like last year was it Notre Dame gets Coastal Carolina, a game right. you should win, yeah, and get that home field rather than the bye, and the bye gets you a month off, and you miss the excitement of that playoff. Uh, wouldn't it be more exciting to get that unbelievable night that you and your fan base are forever going to cherish than just skip it? But, like, yeah, you advance further, but are you really going to win the national title if you're Notre Dame at four and you know eventually you're pro- you're going to run into Alabama? Or do yeah, you get I mean, that night? I, I get that whole point of view it, it, until you're the five seed who loses to the 12 seed. And then you're like, oh, my but, God, we choked. We're well, terrible. Yes, you know, but. and we've blown our opportunity. And I mean, that's the risk that comes in any playoff. But I think I'd still rather have the bye and be playing in a quarterfinal. How, how about this bit? It's uh, we have signing day is like December 22nd. And so what if you're one of these teams that aren't going to make it all the time? So you are the Michigan State that makes it or we're, you know, Wisconsin or uh, Mississippi State would have hosted things like that. And you get to host a game on December 12th. Huh, yeah. And- potentially have as many recruits as you can in that game. Let's say Mississippi state hosts a playoff game. I don't know the history of the entire state of Mississippi, but I'm guessing that's the biggest sporting event to ever occur in the state of Mississippi. Seems and you're like a getting solid all bet. of that fanfare. How, how much does that help you when the signing day is like eight days later? Yeah, no, I mean, that would be a phenomenal recruiting advantage right there. I mean, and just to be in it and then, yes, get all the last minute kids on your campus and show them the biggest scene you've, that, that, that your school has ever put on. Uh, and it would be just. A, a huge thing and that you know that the recruiting calendar has it's it, with the changes of it it's kind of been hard to figure out fully i think how to take advantage of it that would be one of the best ways to i mean that's just closing most kids are committed but we know how many people flip you know oh, all of them um yeah. and then ad's are saying you know look season tickets donations like you want to get a playoff ticket oh yeah you need to be in the club level that assures you two, four playoff tickets if we get there. And some of these schools, we said Wisconsin would host three times. Penn State's going to host. A, that level of school is going to, they're unlikely to make the top four, but they're going to be quite happy making five through eight fairly regularly. It's like a little advantage that you may not have. Notre Dame's going to have that because they can never make the top four. That's like, hey, you know what? Every couple of years we host a game here in Wisconsin and I want to be there. I don't want to be a Wisconsin fan and miss the playoff. Yeah, it's another great way for them to stick up their boosters, you know, (laughs) demand more cash. That's what what, the ADs had different thoughts. The play, the fans were like, I want the home game because I'm just, it's just going to be awesome. The, The ADs are like, we can milk some money out of those guys. Hell yeah. As they should be. So yeah. I don't Give know, though. Money you heard any... So you can have a snowball fight in December. That's yeah. really. <laughs> if you had you seen any chance that they will, they will actually change up Pete. Cause I'm not, I, I'm, I doubt that they will bail at all. They're, they are giving the bowls an a massive gift. Yeah. And I don't see them taking that gift back now. So I think this comes back a little bit to one of our chats in the, in the previous podcast where this, iteration of college football where we're going has cemented 
Sankey, Bowlesby, and Jack Swarbrick as the three leaders. So basically, hates Thompson. He just hates. He hates Craig Thompson. I hate Craig Thompson. I leave Craig Thompson now. I leave Craig Thompson. (laughs) Thompson's the coffee guy. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) two creams and a sugar. uh, Craig, come right back. I don't. Okay, Craig's a good guy, man. I like Craig Thompson. He's a nice. uh, He's a nice man. He always calls back. But those three guys basically have set the course for the future and said to anybody else, "We dare you." to like change it up on us. Now, will there be some nuances in terms of like little, little things that could change? Sure. But this thing is, this thing is either going to be rubber stamped or rejected and they're not rejecting what the SEC wants, what the big 12 wants, what Notre Dame wants. They're just not going to do it. There will be some student athlete stuff. There will be some little compromises here and there. I don't think the rest of the college football commissioners just want to get totally bowled over without like sticking there, sticking up with a little resistance. But I do really think that uh, that as they meet Thursday, Friday, this thing gets rubber stamped through. Yeah, I think that it, it's it's going to happen. It's gotten two things: uh, a lot of publicity and a lot of positive publicity. And yeah. we yeah. we know for for a fact. I mean, if you're a positive path, that's a pretty good arbiter. <laughs> we love it. If our well, podcast loves it. That's like, just what I was about to only, say. This is the only wrinkle we don't like is that the one through four doesn't get to host a game. Right. It's pretty right. much the it, only wrinkle I think we came up with. Yeah, no, exactly. But that's the thing. If if a podcast like this that that absolutely trades in hate uh, <laughs> likes this idea, then, you know, they're they're in pretty good position. Uh, and it would be I think it would be it would be weird for them to be walked back at this point. Um, and I will say one real quick thing on the the one through four not hosting. And I, I understand the point. I don't disagree with the point. The one issue, if you are then, if you're putting those quarterfinal games on campus on New Year's, guess who isn't there? Students. Now, well, plenty of them live close enough to drive back, but they're at home for the holidays. Uh, so you would take the student atmosphere out of there. There would be plenty of other people willing to take those seats at Bryant-Denny Stadium or at Death Valley or in the shoe, I am sure. But but it would be a little bit of a drag to not have the students able to see those games on their campuses. The calendar is an issue that yeah. has always been an issue on how to squeeze this in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're talking about you have conference championship games the first weekend of December. There's generally going to be four weekends in December and then they don't. And then you have Army Navy the next week, and this is a huge, like thorn. You, what, someone's going to tell Army Navy to move their game? <laughs> nope. Yeah. And are you going to say, okay, well, just let Army Navy have their game? But you could be playing against them. You're going to counter program them? Nope. <laughs> and what if Navy's twelve and zero? You're going to say Navy's in and in the national championship tournament? <laughs> Like, there's problems with the Army Navy, and nobody wants that smoke. So then you got to take a week off and let them do it. But then do you go two in a row? And then, like, you'd have to go three weeks in a row. You'd have to go first round um, on that third weekend of December. And then somehow, like, it's hard to jam it in around and then have New Year. Ideally, New Year's Day is a semifinal, in my opinion, because right. you don't want to yes. go too deep. And yes. the Rose Bowl is one of them. And you tell the Rose Bowl, sorry, that damn game is moving up one hour. And your son <laughs> will set in the fourth quarter, not at the beginning of the in the beginning of the third. That's it. But it's 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 that and they haven't if you notice that part's just sort of like TBD. Right. No mm-hmm. one's really they don't know how yeah. to handle Delaney's, those hurdles. Delaney's locked in. That's gonna be a fight. Like Delaney, Delaney's not gonna just give up. 
Like he didn't he didn't get that twenty million dollar bonus from the Big Ten <laughs> that he walked away with, you know, just by uh, by 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 slapping people on the uh, by slapping people on the back. Like there there will be Rose Bowl drama. Um, you know, in the weeks leading up to this, people identified Delaney in the Rose Bowl as a huge obstacle. And that's that's not gone. And the TV contract still needs to get figured out, too. Right. Like that's that's real that, you know, somebody printed this week that it was going to be two billion or something. It's not going to be two billion a year. It's not going to quadruple in uh, in 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 number and size, but it's going to be bigger. And it pretty much has to go to ESPN as the contract currently states. So. Um, because it's still the exclusive window there. I think there's five years left on the, we're seven years through a 12 year deal. Is that right? Eight, yeah. nine, 10, 11, 12. Yeah. Oh, yeah they got so, five to go. Yeah. So if we're going to, if we're going to flip this thing in two years, either the CFP has to convince ESPN to allow in two bidders to jack it up or ESPN has to jack it up. So there's still, there's some real billions with a B negotiating that still has to happen there. And that's not, that's not done. To me, that's the biggest drama. Scheduling-wise, Dan, here's a thought. You were talking about the Rose Bowl and immovable institutions. Right now, move the Heisman Trophy, all right? The Heisman Trophy no. should no longer be in December. Look, we had those weekends that were light and it had a spotlight. The spotlight's gone. Move it to move it to late January. The playoff is going to mean too much, and we're going to have too many Vince Young moments when it becomes clear he should have won the thing and then didn't. The playoff being expanded is only going to make the showcase for the stars bigger and better. So right now, June, whatever it is, move the Heisman Trophy. Now, the Heisman Trophy is an institution that operates. It is like completely and utterly successful despite doing very, very little. Right. Like they're impossible to get a hold of. They're possible to quote from. They are just this like staid old guard institution that doesn't want to mess it up. So them moving anything would take a huge, huge undertaking, in my opinion. But I don't think the Heisman Trophy can operate and be as successful as it is going in early December right now. I do think you have to. I do think this is the this is the sign that you have to move it. Yeah, things change. The TV thing is funny. The one point nine million billion has got to have been a leak from the college football people, right? Yes, like I would think so. uh, right because uh, what is ESPN's kind of got them over a barrel. A little bit. I mean, they could sit there and say, well, we're not renegotiating. You're going to have to sit on this plan for five years mm-hmm. now. So they got a little juice there. I don't know what it'll be. It might be. But I, I'm always that was like one of those like, I mean, what I mean, just like one side throws a number out there. Says, hey, I think we can fetch this. <laughs> That's like one of those like, you know, so and so. So NFL free agents seeking a 56 million guaranteed. And it's like, oh, that's great. Yeah. Um I'm also yeah. seeking that next year from Yahoo. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, one sources say that's what you know. Well, okay. Well, what is the what do the Packers think? Um, all right. So you know, that's I, I think all of that is it. One thing that did come up, Pete had a note about it. So one of the issues here you have is championship. The conference champion gets in the top six. You want what you want to avoid is what we pointed out in the last one is like an eight and four Northwestern team upsetting 12 and 0 Ohio State. Ohio State will still get in as an at large, but all of a sudden the Big 10 loses a bid potentially. Right. They and they're, and they're not going to be a top 4 team or last year the Pac 12 did not would not have gotten a bid because their their conference champ was too low and as such Coastal Carolina steals a bid. The group of 5 teams you want your two best teams playing at the end they always do this in men's basketball and that's how you have like some team goes 15 and one in conference at, at a low major league 
but then loses in the quarters and some 14 and 16 team gets yeah. in and they're a 16 seed and you blow the whole thing, right? right. The Ivy League, until they started, the Ivy League for a long time did it right. But then they, they even they went for this thing. So there's talk of how do you get a better system for your conference championship game. Uh, one of the things, and it's always cracked me up about the, the pro, the anti-playoff people is they're like, we have to have uh, integrity and the competition and all this stuff. And then they would have a geography play a role in who makes the title game. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. It's like the West. We have an East you guys, and a West division. You guys create an unlevel, but, you know, they never thought that stuff through. So now we're talking about, do you get rid of divisions? Do you still have divisions? You know, they need some NCAA, uh, guidance or whatever, some kind of rule change, but they can get that through. What do you think, Peter? We're going to be done with divisions? Well, you know, it's it's a little bit of a, a, a double-edged sword. The example, I, I do think we are done with divisions. I do think we should be done with divisions. So the example to eliminate divisions comes from a year when we basically eliminated divisions, right? Notre Dame plays Clemson in the ACC title game. Notre Dame had beaten them earlier in the season when Trevor Lawrence was injured. Clemson comes back and beats them. And Notre Dame, and I don't remember the rankings, where they dropped from two to four. Was that it? Uh, yes. Two, two mm-hmm. to four. So because Notre now if Notre Dame had lost that game to some metaphorical Wake Forest or metaphorical Virginia Tech that had four losses, they'd have been out. So the double-edged sword is this. If you keep division, potentially, because it's not an AQ from the ACC or the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or whoever, you could be putting your top team in a position where they could take a quote-unquote bad loss to a team with four or five losses, and then they become what the seventh-ranked conference champion, and then they're out. So the, the I'm not explaining this well, but the thought is – if you have the two best teams in the league, they, they won't be able to hurt each other more and they could help each other. Because if the 12th-ranked North Carolina upsets number two Clemson, then they're both going to get in, right, in the in the ACC title game. And so there there's I think you, you have a better percentage chance to help yourself if you have your two best teams playing each other. Because the, the loss won't mean as much to the top team. And the win could mean more to the bottom team. I'd be curious... As these leagues model that out over 10 years, how the, like what percentage was their potential exposure versus potential help? That's for someone much better at math than us to, to do. But I do think we are we are actually amid because I tweeted about the elimination divisions yesterday. I got a bunch of texts from coaches and ADs like this, 100 percent this. We're going to do this. Yeah. So I really think we're going to start seeing serious discussion about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think divisions are probably all but done for most conferences, uh, and I think that would po- be popularly received. And the, 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 the crux of the issue is the fact that everyone decided conferences needed to be too big to play round robin schedules. You know, it was the the money grab to expand conferences also led to unequal schedules. And so that just becomes part and parcel now of the deal. So if you want to get your two best teams into a championship game, you've got to get rid of divisions to, to ensure that you can do that. Uh, and yes, you could be setting the stage for Texas A&M to play Alabama again after playing them in the regular season. Fine, you'll deal with that. But the one thing that, you know, when people get mad about this, you got to look at your own conference and say, well, we chose to be a 14-team conference. And there's going to be some years when some people are going to have better records and higher rankings because they didn't play Team X, Y, and Z. 
that's just that's that's the way that cookie has crumbled now for several years. But if you take the divisional component out of it, it should lessen the chances that 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 creates a non-competitive and potentially problematic conference championship game. Should be very interesting because that will change a lot of things. You win the West, you win the East. I don't. I mean, personally, I think it's better to have two the two best teams. But like, do you think something is lost? Like yeah. winning the SEC East is. You yeah. know, winning the Big Ten West gives a hope for maybe, uh, you know. Uh, no, I, I think so. I think that you do lose a little bit of something. I mean, good glory. I know, like, when Missouri, my alma mater, won the SEC East back-to-back years, first of all, it was an indictment of Florida and Georgia and Tennessee, but that was a big <laughs> dang deal for Missouri. You lose that uh, element for them or for, you know, when Northwestern wins the West and gets to go to the championship game. I I, I mean, that that's the kind of thing that that is – uh, you know, for fans of that level of team, anywhere from, you know, 30 to 50, generally speaking, in the in the hierarchy, uh, you take that away or 20 to 50. And, and you know, that's one thing that one thing less that they get out of a season. Can I hijack the pod? I need to hijack the pod because we have a wonderful collision of collegiate athletics that just happened on Twitter. The Athletic, our friends at The Athletic did an article, uh, Scott Docterman, I believe, who does a great job out there in, in Iowa covering uh, covering the Hawkeyes for The Athletic. Kirk Ferentz just teed off on Will Wade. <laughs> what? <laughs> really? Uh, uh, so he's talking about generally like the lack of enforcement here. So this is the quote, Kirk Ferentz to, uh, to The Athletic. I think that'd be really healthy for college athletics. It's probably a pipe dream in terms of more rules enforcement. I really think that's because one thing we don't have right now is enforcement. Quote, I think college basketball is a great example of that. There's one school in particular. It's amazing to me. I think the AD ended up getting fired. There's a lot of collateral damage. And the guy who was on tape is still coaching there. Make (laughs) that make sense to me. I just don't understand it. But there's an easy answer why. They're winning. I mean, it's simple. So being a more experienced coach there, that's a worry. And that's where I worry about over the next 20 years. Kirk Ferentz just taking a two by four to Will Wade and the ethics of LSU. Sorry, I just thought that was like too delicious to let pass our pod by. Oh. Uh, there is nothing. I mean, I don't know, maybe because I covered a lot of this, these trials and stuff, but like almost every conversation I have, at least for a while there, involved Will Wade and people in college sports just baffled, outraged, furious about how the hell does LSU keep the guy? And it's, I'm like, hey, man, it's your sport. You guys pretend you care, but, you know. Yeah, you know they just when- hired a new president. Can you imagine, like, the first briefing, the explain how Will Wade's still employed briefing to this guy who comes from the outside? So <laughs> the basketball coach who was caught on wiretap, who's the laughingstock of the sport, come with somebody at this board of, like, high, highly paid people explain to me why he's still the coach. I would love <laughs> To hear that conversation, um, I, yes, because yeah. SEC ads, as people in the in the in the conference office, and certainly the coaches are all just they all basically are saying with a few more f bombs thrown in exactly what Kirk Ferentz is saying right now. So it's always nice to see when coaches call out the hypocrisy with that's, their name on it. So props I, to I would like, Ferentz. I mean, that's if 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 you could give all the all the athletic administrators, all the coaches in, in division one, a ballot and go and send them into a ballot booth, like a, like a, like a presidential election or whatever, and just have them give them 20 options for the, the most ridiculous, uh, example of college athletics being a sham or a, a disaster right now. 
Will Wade wins. Will Wade's continued employment wins in a landslide. It is it. It is example A. Amid a backdrop at a school that has probably had the worst year of any school oh. in college athletics, just with the awful, awful allegations that have that have arisen there in terms of sexual assault and then not reporting sexual assault. And obviously the uh, the Baton Rouge paper and USA Today have done a great job covering that uh, covering that yeah. story in detail. But it's uh, again, if it was at a normal place, it wouldn't make it better. But it's just like amid the slop that's there. It's uh, I mean, it's funny. Like you can't even get mad. at it. You just have to laugh at this point. This is why I'm, I, I love it. Well, Wade is my hero. Yes. I mean, first off, if you're <laughs> outraged over something, it should be the sexual assault cases, <laughs> not whatever hell Will Wade's strong ass offer was to for to uh, to the players like. But they're there. But like he just he he unwittingly just shows the entire scope of how ridiculous this the whole thing is. Yeah, I'm still employed. Of course. Who cares? What's an FBI wiretap? Right. Sometimes I think these happen just to give us fodder for our podcast. Yeah. Because if just like some metaphorical Matt McMahon was the coach at LSU, that wouldn't be any fun. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of giving us fodder, Arizona State uh, has come in. Yes. Arizona State, Herm Edwards, Pete, you have a great deal on this story. Investigated. There was a, a, a huge report sent to everybody some in somebody blew in, in someone's a whistleblower at arizona state uh they were hosting players during covid when you weren't allowed to have host recruits allegations of all sorts of stuff uh, give us the latest pete on the arizona state uh scandal we love a good scandal we do so yahoo sports uh has a story dropping wednesday afternoon that basically details uh, how a dime got dropped on uh, on Arizona State. So in recent weeks, a dossier, which is a really fun word, by the way, it makes me feel like a, like a New York Times political reporter, a, a dossier, a Russian uh, dossier, you know, right? A dossier, like something. Yeah, a dossier of documents, screenshots, photographs, receipts detailing Arizona State uh, football program breaking rules arrived and it has arrived we confirmed with the compliance officer, Steve Webb, who runs Arizona's compliance, and has arrived in Indianapolis at our friends at the NCAA. And this isn't like your run of the mill. Somebody's mom got a hotel room. This is uh, this is there's depth, there is detail. And I think, Dan, calling around about this uh, this week, the thing that stood out to me was there was a perception on the West Coast that that Arizona State wasn't above board and, and, and were recruiting. But people were much more offended by the fact that they broke the covid protocols. So it's a, a competitive advantage and a distinct competitive advantage to have kids on your campus when no one else can come on campus. But B, it's brazen and C, it's just stupid. So the Arizona State program, their actual football program, after uh, talking to more than a dozen people the last two days, is just a cultural disaster. And I feel very confident saying that. I had people like lining up to talk because things have gotten so divisive in that program. Essentially, Herm Edwards is asleep at the top. Antonio Pierce has made a power play and taken over and brushed out. It was an in or out uh, type, type of type of environment. Anyone who's not going to go in the gray areas and recruiting gets gets sent off. So not surprisingly, those people who get sent off are just generally unhappy. And the joke calling around that I write that I write about in the story is that nobody can figure out who sent the dossier in and who dropped the dime because there's so many people who are pissed off. 
So it's one of the usually usually it's not that hard to find the aggrieved party. You know, we've done a lot of these stories over the years. Uh, in this case, there's like people are reading me group texts like it was like the it was like co- the college football game of Clue. You know, like is is Mr. Green in the conservatory with the lead pipe? It was it was a really interesting dynamic. And I had multiple people say to me, I can't wait till the NCAA calls and talks to them, which is not a quote you often get, no. you know, when you're when you're doing these stories. So that program has seriously gone sideways. Uh, I said this to you on the on the phone yesterday, Dan. I was like, boy, and, and who knows what's going to happen, right? The, the NCA, you can never predict. These investigations go painfully slow. Huh, we'll wait as a job. I've used that line a few times on the uh, on the on the phone this week. But it's clear that the culture of that program is not great. And you add in the expectations that have kind of developed organically this offseason because of roster and schedule and everything like that. Like, if Arizona State can somehow keep it all together and everybody keep their job and they can have a great season, I'd be pretty surprised at this point, just knowing all the different things I heard that have gone on in that program in recent months and uh, in, in years. I give Stanford coach David Shaw credit. I had spoken to him on uh, on, on Wednesday morning, and I, I thought he put it really uh, I thought he put it really well. People are much more offended about the covid stuff just because it's so brazen than they were just about, you know, some allegation of somebody getting a plane ticket or a hotel or whatever. And this is what David said to uh, Yahoo. It's a disrespectful thing to do. That doesn't sound overly harsh, but for me being a lifer in this possession and a coach's kid, I believe in respecting our profession and respecting the other people in the profession, doing things that you're not supposed to do just to gain an advantage. I take offense to that. I really think that, uh, I, I really think that the, you know, when you, when you call other coaches around the West Coast, they're like, well, I haven't heard anything about NC investigation. But the, the consistent refrain was, well, that's not a surprise. That's not a surprise. Um, as it went, we've talked about it on the podcast, their recruiting has gone national. They got a kid from Brooklyn last year. They've got kids from Miami. These are not Arizona State normal recruiting wheelhouse areas. So there will be uh, there will be intense scrutiny. The school confirmed uh, the NC investigation today. You know, we're reporting that this uh, th- this dossier exists with uh, receipts. And I guess the last thing I'll say is the climate there was so bad that I was told at least a half dozen staffers and coaches were actually like collecting receipts, you know, screenshots of things because they knew like, stuff was going to go down and they wanted to protect their job. And if they were going to get fired, they were going to be like, well, I have this. Or if the NCAA called, they were like, I have this. So I think the NCAA has a pretty good chance to prove the visits, if only because these are all kids who are still in high school or haven't played a college game yet. They can offer them immunity, especially the ones who didn't go to Arizona State, which was a lot of them. They can say, okay, uh, we'll give you immunity. You're not going to play if you don't talk to us. If you lie to us, you're not going to play. Like and we catch you in a lie, so let's go. And that's that's some of the NCAA's best enforcement because they have no leverage. Generally, they have no subpoena power, as we've talked about for years. They actually have a pretty good amount of leverage with what I was told was thirty to forty kids who'd gone through over a period between October and the spring game. So the spring game was like a normal official visit weekend. So they were they're brazen about it. They're rooting for the NCAA to find the security tape footage from the facility because there was there was so much of it. So it was an interesting story. I just can't believe you'd try that and think it would work. It is brazen and stupid. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, And I do know, Pete, echoing your point, there are people in college sports that are especially offended by the the recruiting contact violations during a pandemic and an absolute unified shutdown. This is the right thing to do for the health and safety of all involved. 
And in absolute fairness, the NCAA says don't recruit. We're not going to recruit. And when people, the people that have violated that, it has pissed off those who have not violated it. And that in, I know John Duncan, the, the the VP for enforcement last year, told me that he was he was personally offended by the fact that people just kept right on recruiting uh, and having practices or whatever the case was during a time when America was supposedly trying to get its act together and stop the spread of a deadly virus. So that definitely resonates with people. And yeah, look, the Herm Edwards thing, everybody like Herm is interesting, super interesting, but. Him coming into this situation with no background there and at an age in his 60s, no college background and being in his 60s, this was a setup for things to go sideways. Uh, And I mean, you would have to have super strong oversight. You would have to have a great base of younger assistant coaches who wanted to play by the rules and knew what the rules were. And if you don't have those things, guess what? All right. uh, Let's let's transition to this. Arizona State's going to be a ongoing saga. I think we're pretty sure about that. Rutgers, our friends at Rutgers, be careful. There is a bear on campus. A black bear was spotted near the Rutgers Gardens. And uh, it's like the last two weeks, this, this bear is wandering Rutgers. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how they can't get them. I do. They, Have you seen them play football? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's time of Rutgers optimism, Pat. Oh, that's right. I forgot we're supposed to be optimistic. They took Michigan to triple overtime. Come on. They just got a good quarterback recruit from Kentucky, Pat, from Owensboro. They got a quarterback recruit from Kentucky. Coach Shiano is getting those recruits. Do you have have Gavin Wimsat opinions? (laughs) I don't, but you said he's (laughs) good. How do you know? Have you seen him? I, I know enough people that evaluated him. I don't know. highly evaluated i know sometimes pat has like random like thoughts on like play calling of like specific kentucky high school so you never know like (laughs) only ones that i've had that i have some expertise on i have no opinion on gavin trinity runs the ball too much pat's mad about it five years later saint x (laughs) saint x sorry saint x forgive me for getting my uh louisville high schools rutgers has got a bear and they can't catch him (laughs) and i don't know what this bear is doing um, but they, the New Jersey Division of Fish and Wildlife have provided the following bear safety tips to the Rutgers students and anyone else in the area. Would you like to hear the safety tips? Absolutely. Never if, feed, I, if I end up in Piscataway, I need the safety tips. Never feed or approach a bear. Okay. Seems reasonable. What if it's like he's up at the grease truck and wants <laughs> wants one of those sandwiches, man? Pat, they have you ever been to the grease st- trucks? Uh, no, but I, I know of them. Yes, oh, yeah, I've watched, yeah. oh, watched shows about them. If I'm yes. running a grease truck and the bear comes by, I'm giving it to him. <laughs> oh, yeah. The fat bear. The feet of I mean, These are like chicken fingers with eggs and fries. Oh, yeah. These are like things you could eat at 19 that you can't dream about <laughs> eating years after. I mean, the grease trucks are uh, the quintessential collegiate uh, drunk food. The grease uh, truck that, after yeah. 19 drinks, too. Yes, like, that's yes, exactly. really when they do well. It's just the grease truck. All right, remain calm if you encounter the bear. <laughs> that's not going to be real easy. <laughs> Don't run from it. Fair enough. Make the bear aware of your presence by speaking in assertive voice, singing, clapping your hands, or making other noises. Coach Giano is a good, he's got that big raspy <laughs> coach voice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he can chop the wood. Give him that wood chop motion he does, you know? What Springsteen song should Greg sing <laughs> to the bear? <laughs> Thunder Road. 
Glory Days, Dance in the Dark, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jungle Land. I mean, yeah. there's so many. There you go. Does the does the bear scare does Springsteen scare the bear away? I don't know. Or does he sing along? Because he's a Jersey resident. Everybody yeah. in Jersey knows every song to every Springsteen yes. song. Every word. He's going to be like, I was at the Meadowlands in 96. <laughs> now, here's the real challenge for Coach Ciano, because he is, this is kind of, what this goes against his actions. Avoid direct eye contact, which may be perceived by a bear as a challenge. Coach Ciano's a guy, when he shakes your hand, it's oh, an, yeah. it is an aggressive shake, and he's staring right down your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> do not make direct eye contact <laughs> i love this poor rutgers students like what <laughs> this is yeah. all we got don't look at the bear if i see the I, bear i'm gonna be like oh no did he did i look at him <laughs> <laughs> don't run but make noise but don't look at him it's like <laughs> I, I would be very confused especially in the mind remain calm yeah okay look the other way and the sing cons- karaoke that's what i've gotten yeah. from this <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, God. Me and you were just dancing <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> A picture of Greg like like shadow boxing with Smokey the Bear. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, you, that is a karaoke special there from Pete. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That was something. I don't know if it was good. Yeah, I'm not uh, so, sure. Now the recruiting's I, I, open. Shiano's trying to get a, a new uh three tech. He's, he's walking around trying to hunt this bear down, honestly. Yeah. This bear, this yeah. bear is, yeah. A Coach Better Giano than anything saved in the, portal. the day. We need, they've clearly, Coach Giano can get this done. We're counting on you, Coach. <laughs> All right, Remember Greg's famous story. thing, his first tenure at Rutgers was the room temperature. Like he would have, he would have the room at like 67 degrees because it was the optimal learning time and you had to adjust for big bodies coming in. And he had like a guy on his staff who was like in charge of temperature. Um, I wonder if he could freeze the bear out or I wonder if there's like a, like a bear temperature where maybe he'd be more vulnerable. Bear lives outside. <laughs> Jersey winters are harsh. Yeah, I, I think you'd have to overheat the bear as opposed to underheat the bear. Yeah, I don't think this is. Pat's still auditioning for the Discovery Channel color job. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm waiting for the All call. Right. Get a big yuck truck. Get a big grease truck out there. Yep. Huge eyeballs painted on the side. <laughs> and see if the uh, lure the bear out of the woods. There you, you go. Smell that, you smell that meat cooking. You're going to come. You're going to get in there. I don't know. Anyway. All right. Here's another one. This is from Pete's Neck of the Woods. Well fleet out on Cape Cod. Uh, Michael Packard, uh, 56, a commercial lobster diver, says he was diving for lobster when he got caught in the mouth of a humpback whale. (laughs) He was about 45 feet deep in the waters off Provincetown, which is the tip of Cape Cod. All of a sudden, I felt this huge bump and everything went dark. He thought he'd been attacked by a shark, common in area waters. Then he realized he could not feel any teeth and he wasn't in pain. Quote, then I realized, oh, my God, I'm in a whale's mouth and he's trying to swallow me, he said. And I thought this is the Associated Press. Don't. And I thought to myself, OK, this is it. I'm finally I'm going to die. Yeah, that would be it. His thoughts went to his wife and children. That's nice. He estimates he was in the whale mouth for 30 seconds, but continued to breathe because he still had his breathing apparatus on. Because obviously the whale's going to take you down under. Then the whale surface shook his head and spit him out. He was rescued by his crewmate in the surface boat. 
<laughs> what the hell's going on up there, Pete? <laughs> I mean, what is this? I, I just uh, I just occasionally go to the beach and eat a sandwich and read the newspaper. Like I read the Boston Globe. I, I don't go into like the 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 the, the full throttle whaling um, part of Cape Cod. <laughs> well, Fleet is beautiful, uh, beautiful place, by the way. Yeah, I, I Dan, we were talking about this before the show. You would express some skepticism of this. I mean, we express skepticism of everything. Uh, I'm glad the gentleman is OK. I probably share your. Well, how long was he in the mouth for? Like 45, 30 seconds, seconds to a minute. He's not sure. 45 mm. seconds. That's a long time to be in a whale's stomach to escape. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm 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 with you a little. I'm with you a little bit there. Yeah. And he was like right from central casting with the accent and everything like you. You, you can't make it up. Um, yeah. Our, our hero of Cape Cod. You can't I make don't. it up, except he might have made it up. That's yes. the thing. That's I I, I can't. I, I mean, I couldn't tell you what it's like to be in a whale's mouth. Nobody could other than maybe Jonah. Right. This sounds like a <laughs> biblical ripoff. <laughs> but. Yeah, how long can you be in a whale's mouth and be okay and then be spit out? I I don't have an answer for you there. That may be the first biblical reference in the history of our pod. <laughs> we've we've taken a lot of podcasts. So, I mean, look, you you, you obviously the, the only thing that saves him is the he's got the scuba gear on. Because right. otherwise the whale's going he's the whale will go under the water and you will drown. You're stuck in the whale's mouth. Right. But wouldn't like you would think you would get that like you're you're you'd get jostled like you wouldn't be able to keep the little piece in your mouth that you get knocked around. Like, wouldn't you get bruised up? Like, I know he got injured kind of when the whale threw him out of the mouth. Also, like this guy just doesn't taste good. Is that like what <laughs> best thing going? Like, is you were like, don't, you know, wear some deodorant. No, nah, I'm not going. I'm just going diving. Well, that paid off. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't buy this story, but I, I mean, I guess anything's possible, but just seems very, very, I, you would think you would get knocked around and put unconscious. You would, I, I just can't imagine it being very gentle. It's not, this is not like a, a, a gentle place. The whale mouth. <laughs> He would anticipate it, no, being decidedly ungentle. Although, you know, like, whatever the heck it is they're eating, it's not like things like humans or, or other live animals, right? They eat um, baleen or whatever. Yeah, right. And so, I don't, maybe just, I, I mean, he had his mouth open for some reason. The dude ends up in there and the whale's like, what the hell? Get out of here. I, I, I don't know. I think he got bumped by a whale or a sea that lion. Like, that yeah. seems more likely. In the mouth for 30 seconds to a minute screenshots or it never happened right <laughs> i mean I, it seems to me like hey let's tell this story and see how far it goes yeah you know got one witness my buddy's my witness um i don't know well lucky for him i guess uh all's well that ends well uh on on that one all right uh one last story we wanted to get to was the uh passing of uh former big east commissioner uh john marinato who uh was a Longtime fixture at Providence College, uh, became the Big East commissioner. He was the commissioner when the league split up. And really, I think he was there three years, Pete. How many years was John? 
there. Yeah, he was there, as the he was there three years as the head role, Dan, but he was there but seven years, years behind yeah. the scenes. You know, talking to a lot of people about John this week. I live up in the Northeast, obviously. I worked at the New York Times for a long time, covered the Big East. Big East tournament was a big deal when I was that when I was there. You know, that was five, six days in the garden, you know, where where that dominated the city in the in the news cycle. And uh yeah, got to know John pretty well. People actually said he did his best work at the Big East as the number two. He helped behind the scenes reconstruct the league when BC, Miami, Virginia Tech left in that 03 range. And when they had exited the uh when they had exited the league, the league had a very successful uh revival, Pat. I'm sure you remember, because Louisville obviously came in during uh during that run. I wrote a uh remembrance column about John this week and just got Really, it was interesting, just flooded with texts and emails, probably more than any story I've written in years, just people who knew him and uh, appreciated him. He was a he was a very sweet guy who really loved to help others. He was a really quirky guy. Yeah, quite a reach. And Chris Del Conte sent me a nice note uh, thanking me for the thing, because Chris Del Conte was the TCU athletic director when they joined the Big East in 2010 and obviously got to know uh, got to know John uh, John well at that time. But he he lived a, a pretty fascinating life in college sports. If you consider he was Dave Gavitt's manager at Providence. He was Rick Pitino's SID at Providence. He became the AD around age 28, succeeded Lou Lamorello, who went on to a really successful NHL career. And then he hired... Rick Barnes at Providence, Pete Gillen at Providence, and then Tim Welsh. So that's a pretty wide swath when you start talking about Northeast basketball. Obviously touched uh, touched a lot of lives in that. One story I did end up, after my story ran, that, that came in on text, Greg Burke, the ex-husband of Doris Burke, sent me two long texts explaining that when he worked at Providence, he was away at a convention when their first child was being born, and he was in Kentucky, he called John Marinato, who brought Doris to the hospital for their for the birth of their first child. And John also gave Doris Burke her first opportunity on the air. She did color for Providence, uh, Providence Women's Game. So obviously he uh, he started the career of a Hall of Fame broadcaster, Doris Burke, who obviously I think is the you know simply the best in the uh, in the best in the business. So he really had a had, had a profound impact and resonance on a lot of different things, a lot of different uh, eras. And obviously, when you think about all the different schools, at one time there were 18 schools in the Big East because you had Boise and San Diego State, TCU. I mean, it was uh, scary. So he, he touched uh, a wide swath of people in, uh, in in college athletics and was just really remembered as a uh, as a really thoughtful, other centered, uh, other centered guy. A lot of people uh, really this uh, th- this week just through calls and texts and stuff were really uh, really down. Uh, John never quite recovered, and people were very blunt about this in the story just from the Big East going down uh, on his watch it really uh, it was about 10 years ago and people said he really never recovered from it so it was a a sad story from a guy who really had a prolific life and career and touched a lot of people in college athletics he was a super super nice guy and really like you I think you put it right a fixture in athletics in the Northeast whether he's at Providence or uh, or at the Big East in his various roles kind of an unusual guy and it did it, he got dealt a almost impossible hand I, I don't know how you anybody kept the big east together at that point considering all the forces against it but uh it's unfortunate that he couldn't make that that or felt bad about that situation it was just too far gone at that point um but yeah what a what a terrific guy um and uh it, it's a it was sad that that was a guy who didn't kind of stay in college athletics even after the Big East role ended because uh, he certainly had a lot to offer. So 
sad day for uh, college athletics. We know we got a lot of athletic uh, administrators and uh, coaches and stuff who listen, and uh, they'll they'll certainly know uh, 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 John Marinato. Echo, obviously, what you guys said—a wonderful, wonderful man, uh, very nice. Uh, I thought maybe too nice for for the role he was thrust into as commissioner of a of a foundering, floundering league at a time when it was pretty cutthroat out there with the realignment uh, scenarios that were going down. Yeah, and and especially I, Pete, to your point about how how badly it hurt him to have gone down with that ship, basically, because he did care deeply about the Big East and, and wanted it to obviously be the best that it could be. And at that time, I mean, I don't know who could have saved the Big East, uh, and it wasn't him. And I, I do think that that really did uh, knock him back for a, a loop from people that I had spoken with at that time, yes. Yeah, and I'll just wrap this in a bow, Dan. He was, he was a quirky character. Uh, I remember when he, he had been named the next commissioner and it was Trangizi's last Big East tournament after 19 years. I, I profiled, uh, I profiled John, and I had, I had met him before, but I didn't really know him. I mean, he was the consummate number two. He did not want to be in the spotlight. And I remember people at the Big East had to talk him into talking to me. So I remember on my way down, I drove to New York from Boston for the Big East tournament, and I stopped in Providence. Their their office used to be across the hall from the Rhode Island Philharmonic. I'll never forget that. It was in like <laughs> a strip malls are wrong term. It was in an old office space, and John's in his office and. There are piles of Big East tournament ticket books. I mean, piles of books. And so John was the ultimate behind the scenes detailed guy. Mike could say, hey, we're gonna leave it to John. We're gonna leave it to John. And one of his problems was he was so hands-on when he did get to the big chair, he couldn't like let other things go. And that's kind of how I'll always remember that is he's sitting on this desk and and those tickets are like, those tickets are worth a lot of money. And he has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them sitting there on uh, on there. But I remember like not knowing a ton about him, going and sitting down and I mean, just a quirky character. He he had milk bottles of milk delivered to him every day. I mean, he was very old school, right? So bottles of milk delivered to his house every day. He loved share and meatloaf and he preferred all his music <laughs> on eight tracks. Like he was oh just like, God. and he was just very, very open about all this. And uh, yeah, he was just a, a very funny, engaging guy. He collected old, big Cadillac convertibles that would, uh, that, you know, like it's hard to describe them, but there's these big, massive Cadillac convertibles. He, he basically had such a good childhood. One of his friends explained it to me. He, he kind of like wanted to keep living it. So he, he kind of stayed stuck in the, uh, stuck in the old school that way. So, uh, and, and one other time I went down to Providence to do a story and he, he belonged to a supper club. Now those don't exist anymore, right? He belongs to a supper club. We had dinner at, uh, John Maynard's supper club in, uh, in, in Providence. <laughs> so he was just a, a throwback to a different, I looked, it was called the Aurora club. Um, and, uh, yeah, old school like, Italian, old yes. school. No, Italian no, I mean, Providence, very, yeah. grew up on federal Hill. Yeah. I mean, yes, he was a, he was a complete and total throwback in that way. Condolences to his, uh, family and friends, uh, uh, on that. All right, that'll do it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. More Arizona State and everything else that's going on. Sully's tales of debauchery in Omaha, and Pat will be done with swimming at some point. So good luck to everybody. Uh, thanks for subscribing, sharing us on social media, reviews, and sending us tips about bears getting loose in New Jersey. We will talk <laughs> to you then.